Entrepreneurs Over 40, Episode 5, featuring Mitch Graff talking about six-star customer service. When you wake up in 10 years and say, where did my life go? Who are my kids? It's definitely not worth it. Let's make sure we're maximizing today. And I think that's a, that's a counter a counterintuitive approach to what a lot of people teach young entrepreneurs and old entrepreneurs. And I believe that you don't have to forsake everything. There is a way that you can have that proper balance. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. Our guest today is daddy of three, best-selling author, <laughs> serial entrepreneur, international renowned business speaker, nationally syndicated radio show host, and former All-American track and field athlete. He sold used bicycle parts out of his parents' garage in the seventh grade, but now runs four companies today. He's the host of Business Edge Radio and the Business Edge Minute, which can be heard on over 35 radio stations across the country, as well as on all podcast platforms. Over the past three decades, he's created two award-winning restaurants, catering and events company, a national spice manufacturing business, a photography studio, a cribbage board company, an award-winning limousine business, a portable hot tub rental business, my personal favorite. You can take a breath anytime. Take a breath anytime. Yeah. A drive through espresso company and even a night crawler company. Yeah. What it shows you, if nothing else, it shows you that I get bored easy and I always have to be creating something new, which is part of what an entrepreneur is. But and I was going to mention also that you're a chef, author of nine books and with the GM of the Keyser Salem Volcanoes, a baseball team for a year. They're out of the Giants, right? Well, they used to be out of the Giants, and I was the president uh, of the whole organization in 2019. They were part of the downsizing that Major League Baseball did to Minor League Baseball, and then the Giants did not select this team uh, as a continued affiliate. So now they're playing in an independent league. Uh, they created their own independent league called the Mavericks Independent Baseball League which is with uh, the Portland Mavericks from up in Portland back in the 70s was a really popular team. But I did that for a year. I got bored with my own stuff, and I had heard they're looking for a president of the organization, applied for the job, the only application I've ever turned in in probably 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even have a resume. Didn't need one. But I uh, did that for a year, and we increased attendance by almost 13%. It was one of the biggest increases of attendance in all of baseball. We went through an organizational rebrand. I fired everybody and hired them back as they interviewed. I said, you know, I want to make sure that you're not the reason. I had to give up my summer with my kids to come fix your mess. And so the people that wanted to come back were, were invited to come back and apply for an application. But after a year, we got downsized and I came back to doing my own thing. <laughs> so Okay. That was definitely one of the best highlights of my entire career is being able to go in professional baseball and be a president of a, of a, a professional sports team for a while. That's like a dream come true, right? So. <laughs> the hard part though, Greg, was I I'm a Dodger fan. If I were to Ooh. nick my finger, I'd have blue blood coming out of my knuckle. <laughs> and this was a Giants affiliate, right? The 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 the, the vaunted uh, worst team in the world that I could work for if you're a Dodger fan. But anyway, I enjoyed it and uh, made a lot of great friends. And it was definitely a feather in my cap, and I enjoyed it. That's awesome. Now, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from the rest of that intro? Bring us up to speed with where you're at now. Well, it's quite an intro. It uh, makes me realize that how much I like to do. Uh, the first thing you said was daddy of three, and, and I believe that is my biggest calling. That is the number one thing. And so uh, being an entrepreneur for most of my life, I have learned through trial and error and failing, falling flat on my face, which is part of being an entrepreneur, that you need to build your lifestyle first, figure out what you want out of your life first, and then reverse engineer to figure out what your business blueprints need to look like. And I think today's entrepreneur, the, the teachings out there, the gurus out there, they teach something different. They, it's the Elon Musk approach. And I love Elon Musk. His mind is incredible. But he believes that 120 hours a week, if that's what it takes, you forsake your kids, your hobbies, your spouses, everything, you give it all up in order to build this thing. And I have the opposite approach. I, ha I have the approach of, no, no, you, you figure out what's important to you, and then you make your business fit in. You don't have to work 80 hours a week if, if that's not something that you want to do with your life. If you wake up in 10 years and say, where did my life go? Who are my kids? <laughs> it's definitely not worth it. And you know, I lost my father during COVID. It wasn't because of COVID, but it was during COVID. And it's just one more moment of, okay, let's make sure we're maximizing today 
living in this moment right now, not the next moment, not tomorrow, not next year, not where you're going on vacation, the moment right now, the people that are in front of you right now, the people that are in your lives right now. And I think that's a, that's a counter, a counterintuitive approach to what a lot of people teach young entrepreneurs and old entrepreneurs. And I believe that you don't have to forsake everything. There is a way that you can have that proper balance. And part of it is being efficient with your time. Part of it is learning how to delegate. I mean, there's a lot of little tentacles that go into making that successful. But I really believe that, especially now that there's so many new people, there's a million new businesses that have been started in the last year. Those people, I think, have a better understanding more than in a lot of years that it really is about proper balance with friends, with family, with kids, with hobbies, with personal development of yourself. Uh, and it's good to see, you know, and that's kind of the space I've worked in for 25 years. So it's, it's really refreshing to see all these great ideas coming in uh, to the realm right now. Uh, it makes me excited to get up and go to work. Well, let's talk about that very first business that you had when you were in seventh grade and you were selling parts. Well, actually, it was before that. It wasn't the bike part. I was doing lemonade in third or fourth grade. I mean, we all did lemonade. Did you sell lemonade when you were a kid? I did a little bit, yeah. Most kids in my neighborhood sold it for a quarter. And I decided I was going to sell it for 50 cents. So twice as much as anybody else. But I gave you a free cookie. My mom would make cookies. And then I would give them a free cookie if they bought a 50 cent cup of lemonade. And I had a little table out there in front in a driveway. And I had a tablecloth on it and a couple of chairs. And here's something kind of fun. This radio, this exact radio right here, a little AM radio, I play Dodger games. Okay. <laughs> and I would put this on the table. So even back in third or fourth grade, I was thinking about the experience, right? That customer experience. It doesn't work anymore. I keep it more of a paperweight than anything else. But even back young, I, I wanted to be different. I wanted to look different. And that's one of the basic definitions of good branding and good marketing is you look at what everyone else is doing, and then you don't do that. You run as fast as you can the opposite direction and find that blue ocean where nobody else exists. And I think that's the true definition of an entrepreneur is people that can find that blue ocean. Now, how did you know instinctively to do that? Did your parents give you any advice at all? Or Yeah, my dad was civilian Navy, worked at uh, civilian Navy for most of, his, uh, most of his career. My mom and dad got divorced when I was about 11. So she was working three jobs, raising three kids. She raised me to think on my own. And if I don't know the answer for something, go find it. You know, back then it was encyclopedias, right? If I asked her a question, instead of saying, oh, Google it, she'd say, go look it up in Funk and Wagnall Dictionary. That's what, that was our Google back in those days. I remember that well. So, so I was raised to kind of be self-sufficient and think on my own. And I think because of that, it has allowed me to be able to identify problems, identify opportunities, right? I mean, there's opportunities everywhere in the world. But you want to be able to select the right opportunities that will help you build your lifestyle, build your business, build your empire, so to speak. You know, and we can't say yes to every opportunity. We need to say no to most of them, actually. <laughs> Otherwise, we get overwhelmed and we don't get anything done. Going back, was that the catalyst that sparked you in, into becoming an entrepreneur? Or was there something else? There was always this desire inside. And when I was in my 20s, I was terrible. I mean, I, I, think I got married when I was in my early 40s, right? So I was uh, an unleashed entrepreneur for, most, for over half of my adult life. But what I discovered is that if you're not willing to take risks, and I love taking risks. And back in the olden days, I would take big risks, like big money risks. And, and you fail, you succeed. And if you fail, it hurts bad. Well, over my career, especially since I had kids, I now take measured risk. I take calculated risks. And so I always ask myself, what's the worst thing that happens if this idea, this product, this business fails? What's the worst thing that happens to me? And if I can live with that result, then it's worth pursuing. Um, and the, the thing about failure and success and entrepreneurialism, Greg, is that if you don't fail, I don't think you can truly appreciate what success means. Um, the biggest successes I know in my life, and I know some pretty rich people, successful people, they failed more times, I think, than they would care to admit. I failed like crazy. I went bankrupt in the early 90s because I overextended. I was risking things. And sometimes when you risk a lot, you get hurt. But I learned from that mistake. And I, I think it's because I've been knocked down 99 times that I've been able to get up one extra time. I've gotten up 100 times. And I think that's a definition of a, of a good entrepreneur is you, you get knocked down, but you get back up again. And then you figure out smarter ways to do things, right? Mm -hmm. 
If your systems are broken, you break the systems down and then you rebuild those systems with fewer moving pieces. And that's the definition of being efficient with your time. I don't care if you're an employee or you're a business owner. We all should be doing that, right? If we're just more efficient with what we do, we have time off to do other things. And that's one of the reasons why I have this mentality called the 24-7 lifestyle mentality. And what does it mean to you, 24-7? Well, when I think of 24-7, I think 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And most people do, right? It just means always, always, always nose to the grindstone. My definition is a little different. 24 hours a week, seven months a year. And I know that sounds pie in the sky, but it's it's my shining beacon on the mountain. It's It's what I strive for every day. So when I come to work, whatever it is I'm doing, and again, I have four companies and I, I write books and I got my radio shows. There's lots that I do. If I wasn't efficient, I could not get the stuff done that I get done. So it really is about identifying those systems, making sure they're efficient, and then moving forward each and every day. If you tell your kids the stove's hot, that's a great thing coming from a parent to a kid. But what's the best way for them to learn that lesson? Uh, find out for themselves. Touch the darn stove, kid. And then you guess what? You won't do that again. You'll make other mistakes. You might put your finger in the toaster, right? Or your finger in the socket. But by golly, you probably won't touch that stove again. And so good entrepreneurs learn from their mistakes, make adjustments, and then move forward with, with more knowledge. They're smarter. So what process do you follow when you're actually looking to start a new business? That's a good question. The first, the first step is always to identify, is it something I'm passionate about? I've been really lucky. A lot of people say, don't worry about passion. A lot of people say, look for opportunities to make money, right? I've been very fortunate that every business I've ever started and grown and sold or kept uh, has been something I was passionate about, whether it be manufacturing or, or restaurants or limousines or whatever, whatever it is I've done. I like what I was doing. That's number one. Even the night crawlers? Well, Nightcrawlers, it's an interesting story. I'll, t- I'll tell that story because people always get a quizzical look when I say I had a Nightcrawler company. I used to live in North Idaho, and I wanted to go fishing on a Wednesday in the middle of the summer. And I went to 7-Eleven. I went to every convenience store. I went to sporting goods store. Either A, they were sold out of worms, or B, they didn't carry them. So I found out who the local guy was, and his name was Mr. Bait. I think he's out of Cheney, Washington. And uh, I called Mr. Bate. I said, I want to buy some worms. Can you recommend someone? To, and, and he was just kind of short on the phone and not very helpful. So I got upset. So I went back to my office, got on the phone, found a place that actually sold worms by the thousand. You buy a thousand for X number of dollars. Uh, instead of a little 12 pack styrofoam thing, I made it an 18 pack. Because as a fisherman, you know that 12 is never enough. 24 is too many. So 18 was that sweet spot. I made a colored label. With a, with a trout coming out of the water, beautiful picture. But it was a photo. It wasn't like black ink on a two-cent label, like most worms are, right? I made it special. I made it stand out. Hired the best salesperson I knew. And over the next six or seven weeks, we went around to western Montana, north Idaho, and eastern Washington and picked up hundreds of accounts. And I get a call from Mr. Bate. You can't do this. Well, yeah, I can, and I did. But I don't want to be in the worm business. I just want to be able to have worms when I want to go fishing. So I'll tell you what, I'll sell you, I'll sell you these customers back. And he was adamant. These are my customers. You can't do that. So anyway, we, we ended the conversation and we went for another two or three months, continuing to just knock it out of the park. I mean, very profitable industry. And he called back and uh, negotiated. I think the check he cut me, I think it was $25,000, which was $5,000 more than what it would have been had he done it earlier. So I raised the price because we had more profit, right? And I got out of the worm business. That was a case where it was an opportunity that presented itself. And it just so happens that because I like fishing, I like worms. So I kind of combined the two together. But I was only in that business for less than six months total and made some really, really nice nice revenues in those in those months. Okay, so you kind of identify what your target is and then research it and go from there. Exactly. And once you understand, once you understand what your product is, what your business idea is, whether it be for a digital product or a service or whatever, yeah, also you need to study your competition. You need to find out who your com- competition is, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and how your strengths and weaknesses match up to that. Look at what their branding is. Uh, look at what their customers say, go for the, go for the reviews online and find out what everyone else is saying. That way, you know, if there's an opportunity in the market, 
Uh, and sometimes you'll discover that, okay, there really isn't an opportunity here. I'm going to work really hard for not much return. Maybe I need to look for a different thing that I am passionate about that has an opportunity. Um, but the worst thing in the world is just to go into business because you like doing something without doing the due diligence. You got to study your competition. You got to do your cost analysis and all those kinds of things. How are you going to market? How are you going to acquire customers? You know, there's so many different tentacles, as you know, going into business on your own. Um, but the first thing is, is that passion, that zest and zeal for whatever it is that you're doing. Okay. So you, you firmly believe that you've got to have the passion for a business. I have always coached that because that's, that's my experience, but I also know a lot of people that look for opportunities. You know, there's Amazon FBA, which stands for fulfilled by Amazon. Most people that have products on Amazon is because there's an opportunity. They see, oh, okay, here's a, here's a, a void in the market. I'm going to buy this blue widget. I'm going to put my label on it and I'm going to sell my blue widget in this, this red ocean of other blue widgets but I'm going to differentiate myself by price or by color or by size, or they figure something out and it has nothing to do with their passions. It has to do with that opportunity that presents itself. So I recommend trying to do both look for opportunities and also make sure that it's something that aligns with your, your, your lifestyle principles and your lifestyle goals. If you don't like to barbecue, I love the barbecue. I own the brand Barbecue Nation, and we're in stores across the United States, and we, we sponsor a, uh, a top fuel dragster uh, from NHRA. Uh, I love barbecuing, but if I didn't like barbecuing, I would never have spices and rubs and meat shredding claws and things like that. Uh, I'm just, again, I'm very fortunate, but I always recommend people find something that you love to do and figure out how to make money with it. <laughs> now, how have your businesses fared during the pandemic with COVID-19? Two phenomenal. They 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 drove up. Uh, my publishing company. People were buying more books because they had more time, right? So my book sales quadrupled uh, in twenty twenty. Uh, the one business that really was affected the most was my catering company. We have a catering company. We can service up to twelve hundred people. Uh, in twenty twenty, we got voted the Pacific Northwest Cater of the Year. So we do a good job. To me, I think part of that reason is because we we deliver that six star service. Food is good. I understand that. We have great people that make great food. That's a given. But what differentiates us is that six-star service, going above and beyond to satisfy the customer, whatever that means, right? And every client has a different definition of what going above and beyond means. But we went from 600000 down to 20000 last year. I mean, there's no weddings. There was no corporate, nothing here in Oregon. That's where I'm at. Um, and there's still we're still partially closed down right now. And here we are almost the end of May 2021. And we still have limitations on inside seating and venues and things like that. Um, but yeah, that hurt going from 600,000 down to 20,000. And we won this big award. It's like, well, for what? <laughs> There's no business. Very strange. And half the businesses are gone. Half the caterers are gone, which now that we're coming out of it, that bodes well for us, right? From a marketing standpoint, we've made it. So we're getting triple, quadruple the calls because half the numbers are disconnected. That's why that's, that's probably the one that was affected the most. Are you having any trouble staffing as far? Because I've heard a lot of people say that they can't find people to staff. I heard a McDonald's in Florida that's offering $50 just to show up for an interview. And if you get hired, it's a $500 bonus spread out over a period of time. But just to show up and, and sit and be interviewed, here's 50 bucks. That's incredible. And yes, we have usually no problems getting banquet servers, chefs, cooks, line people like that. Never a problem. Never a problem. And on big events, we have 35 employees. Uh, but I have, I have an ad running right now. We have a couple of big events this summer. I'm looking for head chefs. You know, I pay pretty well. I start people at almost 20 bucks an hour starting. And after 30 days, you do well, you get a raise. So we treat our people very well. Uh, but I, I can't even get people to respond to the ad. I haven't done a bonus yet. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate that right now there's enough money out there, free money, that a lot of people, I believe, especially in hospitality, they're staying home because as soon as they go to work, their unemployment gets cut. So, and I know there's there's some changes coming up over the next few months. Hopefully that changes, but yeah, finding good labor, uh, which is vital to your, your business. I've always said that good business people, good leaders, hire people around them that are smarter than they are, and then you stay out of their way and let them do their job. And I'm trying to find people that are smarter than me right now. They just don't want to work. They want to just stay home um, or 
they don't want to do, they don't want to work. I just, uh, it's really unfortunate what's happened. And it's only the last two years, right? That's a new dynamic that I think most businesses are challenged with. So how do you overcome that? That's a, it's a, that's the question, the $64,000 question. How do we overcome that? Certainly wasn't an issue when I was growing up. Well, we got, we got $2 and 15 cents an hour. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> And we were happy to get $2.15 an hour. That was my first job. I was a dishwasher, $2.15. My first paycheck, I remember I walked down to Kmart and I bought a fish tank with plants and rocks and everything. And I carried it home. I remember this. I was about four blocks from Kmart. But my very first pay, it was like $23, my first paycheck. I have the stub in a box. But I went and bought a fish tank. And I felt like, hey, I've arrived. <laughs> I got $23 on my paycheck. <laughs> When I first started working and other other friends have told me the same thing about their children. Yeah, you, know, you have like the stack of checks that <laughs> you've got all this money but you don't do anything with it. And then once you leave that once you leave the house that that goes away quick. Well, and and there's actually there's value in and letting things build up like that. I remember the remember Caddyshack, Chevy Chase, he had the girl in his apartment and she's saying, here's a check for 10,000. Here's one for 50,000. He goes, oh yeah, I got to deposit that. There's some value in that because it teaches you to save. And in the entrepreneurial space, you really need to make sure that you spend money on vitals, things that customers come in contact with. You know, and, and, and you can use $5,000, I think is a good marker. Anybody can afford to lose 5,000, I believe, if they're going to start a business. Um, but make sure that the money you spend it only on things that the customer or the prospect comes in contact with. Getting a new uh, mouse pad doesn't come into that realm. Um, updating your office chair does not come into that realm. But websites, marketing collateral, your business card, those kinds of things, things that that customer has direct experience, called CX, the customer experience, those are the things that you need to be spending your, your limited resources on. Um, and I think a lot of people make the mistake of doing things that it's the sizzle with the steak instead of the steak. Starting out, man, you got to bootstrap. You only spend money on things that you absolutely have to uh, until you get to a point that you can start making some decisions. Okay, we got some profit now. Now, incrementally, let's start spending more so that we can scale that business and make this a lifestyle, make this a job that I can make a living out of. Okay. Let's say that I hate my job, but I need the steady income. Can I start a business on the side? I love that question. Absolutely. I think most businesses start as a side hustle. It starts as just an idea or a conversation in the garage or kitchen table. The most, the, the biggest companies in the world, biggest companies the world's ever seen start in a garage or around a kitchen table. Just think about the, the big ones, right? Um, so it starts with an idea. It starts with notepads and I have p scratch paper all over the place with notes. Some of my best ideas that I've had were on the back of a napkin. And that's a, that's a true statement. Talking to someone, like, oh, I like this idea. Well, what I started doing about 10 years ago is carrying the little notepads around that fit in your back pocket with a little pencil that goes down in the spine. And that way, if I have an idea, I can write it down. Because what I'm finding as I'm getting older, I'm 59, little things like that start slipping. And I have to, I have to stay healthy because as we're talking before th this interview started, I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a now 7-year-old. They've all turned the, the, the uh, one more year in the last several weeks. I'm 59, so you do the math, Greg. I'm going to be 71 or 72 when my youngest graduates high school. So that really makes me want to take care of my body, take care of my businesses, make sure I have time to spend, to spend with my children. And going back to an early question, uh, early on in my career, I identified – the fact that I wanted to have time freedom. I didn't want to have to work for the man. And I worked for the man for quite a few years and made good, good money. I mean, I was making six figures when I was in my mid-20s, but decided that that wasn't the kind of life that I wanted. And so I've had to give up some stuff as I built my career over, over the decades. Um, if I would have been a corporate guy, who knows where I'd be, but I wouldn't have the quality of life I think that I have now. And that's what being an entrepreneur um, has allowed me to do is to have time freedom, financial freedom, location freedom. 90% of my income can be made without doing something. It's, it's all automated. It's online and, and different systems in place. Um, but it's taken me a long time to get to that point. Are you withholding anything from your kids about, about your life? Do they know your age? My age? Funny story. Yeah. So when I had my first kid, I was like mid-40s. 
And when my daughter was probably three, I planted maybe four. I planted the seed that I was like nine. And to a three or four-year-old, that's big, right? That's old because they don't have a concept of, of, of time yet. Well, my next birthday, I became 10. And then I was 11. And then I was 12. And she was now probably seven or eight. And one day we're driving down the road. She says, Dad, you know what's really weird? You're 12. And I have classmates that have brothers and sisters that are 12. And you're a lot bigger than them. And that's just really, really weird. And I said, honey, daddy has something to tell you, but I don't want you to tell your brother, okay? I'm not 12. I'm 52. She has, I mean, that's just a number she can't fathom. Seven years old, you can't fathom that. You don't understand. You're learning to count by tens and fives and everything, but 52. So about five minutes of silence. And then she says, dad, does mom know you're not 12? <laughs> That's awesome. And I said, oh, baby, I, I don't know. Why don't you ask her? And so that whole thing worked out. My son, two years behind her, I did the same thing with him. Now I have a seven-year-old who thinks I'm 12. No, I just turned 13. So she thinks I'm 13. And it is one of the biggest joys that I've had. I rec highly recommend to any parent out there, if you have young ones, if you haven't spilled the bean yet, bean jet on, on how old you really are, plant the seed that you're 10 or 12. My wife regrets that she wasn't the one that thought of the idea because she's 42. She's always been her real age. and <laughs> She just shakes her head. So it, it keeps me young. Uh, it's one of those little moments that I can share with my kids and I have. And then when the moment comes when I get to tell them the truth of it, um, it it's that bonding moment. But that everything else they know about me except my true age. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. I like that. <laughs> I don't have anything comparable to that, although I do tell my wife a good bit what the dog thinks. So. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, I highly recommend that. It's it's uh, it really is a true joy, and it brings it's a giggle effect, if nothing else. My friends think it's hilarious, and I have a few friends, and actually, there's people around the world, and I've heard this for a couple, couple two or three years now, that have done the same thing, and they have similar stories to share about the moment that it became a realization that. My dad's not 12. My mom's not nine. <laughs> um, magical moments. And that, that's kind of what I look for every day is where's my magical moments going to come from today? And then grasp, grasp onto those magic moments. You know, don't let them pass too quickly. Yeah, switching gears again. I'm sorry. Oh, hey, I like switching gears. No. Otherwise, I'll get bored too easy and so will you, right, Greg? <laughs> How do you know when to sell a business or you know, like they refer to on Shark Tank? Take it out behind the barn and, and shoot. And shoot it. Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. Another good question. Well, number one. The businesses that I've sold, and I think I was counting earlier this year, I've sold 16 businesses over the course of my career. Two things. Number one, I'm done with it. I said, okay, I, I've, I've proven to myself that I can build this um, or do this thing, and it's time for me to go do something new or something different. That's the number one indicator for me personally. But the, the second part of the equation is the timing of when you're going to sell. Uh, I had a business a few years ago, a limousine business. We had just became the largest wine tour limousine company in the state of Oregon. We we're doing like 8,000 people a year, wine tours. Became the biggest in less than two years. We just, I, I had a couple techniques that I didn't share with anybody else, and we just ramped up like you wouldn't believe. Well, I knew it wasn't possible for me to continue to scale like that. It was the highest value. Uh, limousine business is, is a, a brutal business. I mean, things break down. Chauffeurs don't show up. Guests puke in the back of your limb. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Okay, been there, done that. And someone came along that uh, wanted to get into it for the first time. And so I basically handed him on a golden platter, this beautiful business that was very profitable, had a lot of moving pieces, um, but it was time for me to move on. So a combination of me being done with it and number two, the the, the opportunity to maximize your revenues. And that's always uh, a plus if you can combine both those together. Okay. Have you ever had a business that just failed or? Oh, sure. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of them. I was, not lots of them. A handful of things that I thought was a great idea at the time. Put some resource into it and it just didn't work out. But again, that's part of that stepping stone to, to know what to do differently the next time. 
You can't be a success every single time. I always believe that you study other people that have done the same thing. You're not going through this for the first time. You're not the only person in the world that's ever experienced, oh my gosh, I had no sales. I got this great product, the great idea. Nobody else believes in me except me. You're not the first one. So learn from other people around you, around the world. It doesn't have to be someone that you know that have experienced failure before and then learn from there. Copy them. Don't do the mistakes they made. Don't do the mistakes she made. Look for new ways to make mistakes because as you make these mistakes, you build the foundation of your house to the point that, okay, now I have something of value that the world will want. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. I had a, a company called uh, Hot Tubs To Go. My phone number uh, was Tubs at the end. And I had this idea to franchise it. So I hired a guy, an attorney. Uh, he was uh, the father of a girlfriend I had dated. And at the time I had one, it was a, I built, it was a single axle flatbed. We built a deck, put a pool in there. It was propane. So it heated very quickly. We installed an eight track tape player. Remember the eight track tapes before cassette, before CD, before everything, eight track tape had rails and carpeting and it was beautiful. People would rent it for the weekend. We take it to their house, use their water to fill up, put some chemicals in, fire up the propane. An hour later, they were ready to have a party. And so they rented it for the whole weekend. And on Monday, we'd go and pick it up. It really was successful. It was one of my, my college gigs and uh, really successful. So I went and hired a guy. I said, I think this should be franchised across the country. I think I paid him forty or $50,000 to start. And we got the paperwork started. Then he died. Ouch. And he had just gotten a whole bunch of information. And back then, everything was paper. This is back before the days of, of, com of big computers. And uh, anyway, the idea died uh, along with him because I could not recreate some of the stuff he had. Plus, I was out of money. I mean, I, that was all the money I had at the time. Um, I still think today it'd be kind of a, a nice franchise model, portable hot tub rental, because who doesn't want a hot tub at a party, right? Uh, but at the time, I gave everything I had and said, okay, that's done. And so that's probably been my biggest failure, even though I don't think the idea was a failure. The mechanics and the execution on my part was wrong. Never give some guy $40,000 all at once if that's all you got. That was back before the days of measured risks, like we were talking before. So, <laughs> Unless his name is Greg Mills. <laughs> Tell me about your biggest failure. Well, just in life, what's the biggest failure that you've had in your adult life? We'll switch the tables for a minute here. Yeah, unfair trick question. Well, I mean, you don't even have to answer that, but did you learn lessons from that so that you didn't make the same mistakes a second time? Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely learned lessons. Well, and I really do believe, Greg, that failures are just badges of honors and, and the scars that you have uh, in your journey. I mean, entrepreneurialism is a journey. It's not a destination. It is more about the, the each mile at, that you go by, each day that goes by. And I enjoy the journey. I mean, it's a steep climb sometimes. Sometimes it's just you want to just get up and just scream and yell. Um, but the nice thing is, if I get up today and don't want to go to work, I don't have to. I have people around me that can keep things going. If I have a job and I get up and I don't want to go to work, guess what? I got to go to work or I get fired. I don't have a job. So that freedom right there is one of the main reasons I think that, especially after the pandemic or during the pandemic, so many people have decided to take that side hustle and turn into a business is because they want that freedom. You know, right now, I'm, I mean, some days I have my, my pajamas on and my flip flops on or my, my uh, slippers on. Today, I'm actually dressed. It's a cold, rainy day and I have some outdoor projects I'm doing later. But uh, I appreciate you being dressed. By there, the way. There, there's days I have pajama bottoms on and I would stand up and show them to me if I, if I had them on um, that I can do because I am an entrepreneur. So you can't do that if you're working from home and you got to go to the office. <laughs> OK, I, I've got one for you. OK, I, hit me. I had read about about one year old college student that had had basically taken his Twitter account and he was rating dogs. Hmm. In other words, people would send him a picture of their dog and he'd write a cute caption and give it like ten out of eleven or okay twelve out of ten or something. You know, he had managed to monetize it. So I thought I can do this. Yeah, but I went and created a site called Pet Captioner. Pet Captioner. Okay, I like it. I like it. And basically, it was an online meme site for people to upload their pets. And I'm very big in the in the Philippines, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that I've got anybody <laughs> from North America that's visited. 
I love that. But it comes back to, you know, what did I learn from that? Well, basically that I didn't truly understand. And I love dogs. I just didn't understand what he was doing. <laughs> Still don't understand, but, you know, my hat's off to him. But there's lessons in there. There's lessons in the ashes, right? The phoenix rises from the ashes. Right. Failure gives you those lessons. Let's talk about your book, Customer Service is Dead, Delivering Six-Star Service in a One-Star World. Yeah, yeah. I like the cover. Yeah, it's kind of fun, huh? I mean, it, it, it makes a point. It's, it gets in people's face. The customer service is dead. So do you remember back in the olden days, Greg, when we were younger, they didn't call them gas stations. They called them service stations. Do you remember those days? Yeah, very vaguely. Very vaguely. I'm a little bit older than you, but yeah, you'd pull into a, a gas station, a service station. They wouldn't just give you gas. They would ask you how your day was. They would uh, check your oil. They'd put air in your tires. They'd wash your windshield. They'd do all these things. They would service your, your, your account. And oh yeah, you got gas while you were there. I remember when I was a kid in high school, there was a station down by my my school and I would always go there just because I enjoyed watching these guys work. And they were adults. They weren't 18, 19-year-old kids. They were adults that knew how to fix things and they were good at customer service. And to this day, I am still loyal to that same brand. It's Chevron. That was my very first credit card I had was a Chevron card back in, in the day. Well, today they're called gas stations. And if you get a hello or how are you, you're fortunate, you're lucky. And yeah, it is just about getting the gas. But I've noticed that the service level, the customer experience has kind of taken a back seat over the last several years. Two reasons. One, the internet. Everyone's rushing to the internet because that's where so much transactions are happening. That's where the growth is. But now with the pandemic, even if you weren't online, you were forced to pivot and figure out how to take your business online. Otherwise, you were going to go away. And so these these double forces kind of dumping themselves into the, the cauldron. And what happened is now the customer has been left behind. And so this book kind of goes out to set this new standard that I want to create. And I want this to be a movement across the country. I think as consumers, we should hold the businesses that we do business with to a higher standard. It's not just about meeting my needs. I can get my needs met anywhere. I want to have you exceed my needs. Therefore, I want to exceed my customer's expectations. If you can do that and you can fix the problems quickly and efficiently, if you can treat your customers like gold, uh, if you can give them an experience that's unparalleled with any other competitors, if you can do all those things and you make promises to your customers based on, well, like in this book, there's, there's six stars, there's six chapters that talk about the things I just mentioned. If you can do those things before a, a word is ever exchanged with you and a prospect, they're going to know, wow, this, this is a six-star company. They're going to take better care of me. You just have this feeling that you're going to be taken better care of. If somebody says, I believe in the six-star philosophy that I need to go above and beyond to take care of your needs, that becomes your differentiator. That becomes your blue ocean. That becomes a way that you separate yourself from your competitors because you are taking impeccable care of the people that choose to do, do do business with you. Did you realize that 84% of everyone that does business with the business today, 84% of the people will not come back a second time? Wow. And this is all industries combined. Baseball, when I was in baseball, 82% of everyone that goes to a game, Major League Baseball, 82% will not return for another game within five years. That just, when I learned that stat, that blew me away. So my question is and was and will always be, if we just get that 82% to 80%, that extra 2%, there's your growth. If we take better care of our customers and give them compelling reasons to do business with you a second time, a third time, give them that compelling reason, they're not going to want to go anywhere else and they want to continue to stay with you. You're not looking to like double. If you do, that's great. But if you just have incremental growth, I mean, that becomes your lifestyle down the road and that does give you that entrepreneurial time freedom, location freedom, money freedom, all those different things. But it just shows you that there's so many people. We, we give a check to somebody, and that's the last time we do we will see them in a number of years. And that just blows me away. You know, I've had the same insurance company for many years. My gas station, uh, there was a guy a few months ago that was very rude to all the customers within about a two-week period. And I decided, you know what? No, five minutes a week, I, I want to smile. I want to talk to the guy and laugh and everything. I went elsewhere, and to this day, I don't go back to that station because of that one employee. You know, that customer experience 
uh, didn't do it for me, and I took my, my business elsewhere. Now, that brings up an interesting question. Who do you consider the target audience? Is it the CEO, middle management? You mean for this book? worker? Yes, sir. Everybody, because I believe customer service and customer experience has to take place from the top down. I mean, the culture is started by this guy or this gal, but most importantly, the people at the bottom are the ones that are holding the brands of the multi-billion dollar companies, whether it be Coca-Cola or Amazon or whatever. The driver holds the Amazon brand in their hands. The way they make that delivery and smile and say, good afternoon, sir, how are you? Got a package for you. The way they do that is branding. The little details is branding. The, the, the speed that you drive the company vehicle down the road is branding. If there's an Amazon driver and they're going fast and passing cars illegally, guess what? That affects their brand within the consumer that is, t- that is part of that experience. So um, I believe it's from the top down and the bottom up. So the training has to take place from the top, obviously. But the people at the bottom, I always tell people, if you're not happy with your employees and they're not doing a good job taking care of your customers, fire them. Move them to a different department. Get rid of them all together. Hire people that have personalities that put customers first. You can train a skill. You can train someone to answer a phone. You can train somebody to manufacture a blue widget in the back. You can train someone to be a good driver. You can't teach nice. And so whatever industry you're, you're in, hiring people that have those personalities that are customer-centric, and that is their focus, then magic will start to happen once, once you do that. And you'll notice that your business starts growing by leaps and bounds because of that. Yeah, you're starting to see more and more people from various companies appearing on TikTok. I don't know why they didn't do the same thing on YouTube, but it seems to be more of a TikTok phenomenon where they're exposing company secrets or practices, whatever have you. If the company I work for or the company that I own does not have a customer-centric focus, customer-focused culture. How do you implement one? Is it too late? That's a good question. You got some good questions today, Greg. Well, first of all, you got to take it upon yourself to make sure that you are equipping your your body, your mind, and your skill sets as much as you can. But I would go directly to the boss and say, you know what? I think we can do a better job. I think we can do this, 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 and this, and we can make sure that the customer experience is A-plus the whole way through. Right now, we're, we're dropping the ball go ahead and go to the boss and take the initiative, take action and say, I would like to get more training from you, or I want you to pay for an online course that I and the rest of your employees can take because I feel your business will grow if we take better care of our current customers. What boss is not going to want to take advantage of that, right? Right. So take the initiative yourself to be educated and to get the tools, uh, but also be, be willing to go to your boss or the owner and say, Let's that's together. Let's figure this out and figure out a way to take better care of the people that come and give us money because we want them. If they can come back one more time, if you get every one of your customers to come back one more time, you just doubled your business. Hallelujah. That doesn't seem that difficult Uh, on paper. It's more difficult executional. But uh, on paper, if you can just take incremental better care of your people, you're going to have growth like this. Uh, And that's a good problem to have. (laughs) So if I'm the CEO, you know, I can implement a customer service course. What other things should I target? Well, I, I, I mentioned course as one of the tools, but getting customer feedback, I think, is something that is sorely missed in, in small business, especially because we don't want to hear bad things, right? We, we don't want to risk failure. We don't want to have somebody say, yeah, I just felt that the person on the phone was bad and the product broke and I didn't, just didn't care to call you and let you know. We don't want to hear the bad stuff. But sometimes we need to hear that so that we can retool. You're talking about those systems earlier. So we can break down these systems. Maybe it's, uh, you know, everything's great, great product, great price, but it took three weeks to get here. Well, your shipping system is broke. So now you know that you got to grease the wheels a little bit, break down all the systems having to do with shipping and expeditiously getting products to people. Uh, But you won't know that unless you are hearing directly from customers and looking at that social proof, looking at reviews. 90% of people do not leave reviews online. And see, the world goes around on a five-star, right? Right. Five-star restaurant, five-star resort, everything is five-star. And what I'm proposing is that six-star mentality. Um, But yeah, that's what I would recommend. The six-star being the exceptional and five-star being the, you know, just everything was okay. We expect five-star, right? If, if we're having dinner on a Friday night, it's Friday night, family date night, and we call our, our favorite Chinese restaurant and they bring us food, they get there, it, it tastes good and everything, it's five stars, right? 
Everything was as expected, not more than expected, just as it. Well, what if they're 10 minutes late? Now it's four star. What if they're 10 minutes late and the person on the phone was a little bit rude when you call them? Now it's a three star. What if the person on the phone was rude, uh, they're 10 minutes late and the food is cold? Well, now it's two star and so on and so forth. But five, but five stars becomes the expectation. You did a good job for me. You, you filled my water without having to be reminded at the, at the restaurant and the food was good and you, you, you came and everything was great. Five stars. I'm saying we need to expect more from people. And if we all start doing it as consumers, expecting more from the people we do business with, from our insurance agent to the pizza shop, to the gas station, to the tire shop, we start expecting more. Guess what? They have no choice but to raise the bar, raise their game. And eventually it's going to become like this tidal wave of, of, uh, of people out there that expect more from the people they do business with. And I really do hope that in five years, if you and I talk again, that we're going to be talking about the Six Star Association, which is a company that I am launching as we speak, where you as a business owner can become Six Star Certified. You go through a pre-qualification, you go through some course training with employees, um, and then you can get things like counter crystals and wall decals and certification certificates for your wall. What, what better thing from like a chamber of commerce to say, here is the six-star award that we're giving at our annual banquet, and it goes to ABC Plumbing, and here's why. Well, what's everyone else going to say? Well, I want that. I want to do it. So in the next few months, you're going to see the six-star certification process actually take wings, and uh, we're going to do a big push out there. It's not ready yet. It's, right now, it's just uh, we're, we're getting all the, the moving pieces <laughs> in order, uh, and there's a lot of moving pieces on this one, right? But um, I'm excited about that, and that's kind of in conjunction with the uh, Customer Services Dead Book. Okay, that, that sounds like that could be huge. Yeah. As a business owner, would you like to, to let your customers know that you're six star certified? Oh, definitely. Of course. Anything right? for an advantage, you know, over the competition. Yeah, you can go into a Marriott, right? I can see it now. A nice beautiful crystal that says six star certified. Marriott, downtown Portland, right? And <laughs> I can see it, I can envision it. That's my new idea. That's uh that's my my effort for the next uh, couple of years is gonna be focusing on that, putting the right people in place, and again, hiring people that are smarter than you and then letting them do their job, stay it out of their way. What role does social media marketing play in shaping customer perceptions and creating customer loyalty and engagement? Yeah, anymore, it's huge. And I, I, I have a couple of things about social media. I believe that we have fallen prey, when I say we, all of us, from my mom, who's almost 80, down to my six-year-old, seven-year-old, excuse me for that. Uh, we've fallen prey to the siren, the internet siren, where we feel we have to go and look at everybody else's timelines, Facebook or LinkedIn or TikTok video, whatever it is. And we go down this rabbit hole because our brain releases dopamine. I mean, we want to, if we make a post and we start getting thumbs up and likes and smiley faces and hearts and all those different things that are on there, our brain releases a little drop of dopamine. And dopamine is that thing that becomes addictive. You got to have that feeling of, oh, I'm appreciated. I'm loved. I'm liked. I want to see if my Aunt Betty has liked the, the post I made about her family last weekend. I want to go and look at it. And so you leave your notifications on. So at two o'clock in the morning, somebody gives you a thumbs up. Your phone goes. Bleep. So you get up and go. Mm, right. So as an entrepreneur, here's two two recommendations. Number one, you don't have to be on every platform, especially starting out. Pick one. And do it exceptionally, exceptionally well. You're better off doing that than doing six mediocre. Mm -hmm. So find one and that you can excel at and do that. And number two, you don't have to do it yourself. There's people, there's virtual assistants around the world. I have virtual assistants in six countries. They will do this for you. You tell them, here's the guide rails. Here's what I want. Here's the content or here's what, my, my ideas. And then you let them do things. There's softwares that will schedule your posts for the next umpteen weeks and months. You don't need to do it yourself. And if you are doing an hour a day, let's say, of social media, if you remove yourself from that process, you've now freed up an hour a day to do something else. Reinvest it back in your business. Reinvest it into training your employees. Reinvest it into hanging out with your kids. Go stare at a tree in your backyard, Right. You now have this time freedom because you freed up an hour, and it doesn't sound like a lot of time. Oh, that's huge. But an hour is a lot. 
And if you could do a little bit better, now you're at two hours. Now you're at four hours. So it just depends on how addicted people are to their social media. Um, but pick a platform and be the best at it and then find someone that, that can do this for you. There's people out there around the world that can do this cheap, five bucks an hour around the world, and they are incredible, incredible talents at what they do. There's people like that in the United States and around the world. You can go to uh, upwork.com. You can go to fiverr.com. And those companies over the last several years have really refined the edge of their sword. At the beginning, it was a little bit rocky. But now, uh, some of the best technicians and artists and videographers and everything are on those platforms available for you as a startup business. You know, when I say you, I mean the, the, the viewers. Uh, they're available for, for us to, um, to help make our jobs easier so that we don't have to do all the, the, the tedious stuff that we don't like to do. <laughs> Yeah, you may have to do the tedious stuff when you're first starting out, but you know you can systematize it. You got to do it because you want to be able to teach somebody else how to do it, obviously. But I'll tell you right now, the, the job of an entrepreneur is not to do the $15 to $20 an hour work. It's just not. If you spend all your time doing that stuff and you're five years into this, you need to make a change. You need to be able to delegate that or automate it or eliminate it. You should not be doing the $15 to $20 an hour work. You should be doing the $500 an hour visionary stuff. How am I going to scale my business? How am I going to make sure I give my employees the tools to be successful so they can take care of those customers so I can scale my business? That's where your thought processes need to be. Not in, okay, I'm going to answer the phones today. I'm going to process these orders. I'm going to make these blue widgets today. That's not where your time should be spent. Um, it's called Pareto's principle. I'm sure you've heard of it. The 80-20 rule. 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. Conversely, 20% of your, your efforts brings you the 80% of the results. So knowing that ahead of time, it makes sense to figure out how to get take the 80% of your things that you do, the time that you spend, that only brings you a little bit of results and getting rid of that, figuring out how to train someone else to do it, delegating it, automating the system. And we're talking about the systems early, automate that system. Or maybe just saying, okay, I'm not going to do that today. Procrastinating, right? Automation, procrastination, delegation, and elimination. Those are four things that you can do with anything that presents itself uh, in front of you. But as an owner, you should be spending your time doing $500 an hour think tank stuff. That sounds like that's something from Business Basics Boot Camp. Is that correct? <laughs> that is, yeah. Speaking of it, yeah. And that's a book. I, this came out last year, and it really is a, a culmination of 35 years of, of mistakes and failing and successes. And I call it the seven tentacles of, of success. You got lifestyle design. A quarter of the book, a little bit more than a quarter of the book, is on lifestyle design. Because I really believe you got to do that first. And then there's branding, sales, marketing, pricing, social media, all the other tentacles that go into business success. But it starts with that lifestyle design and you know what is your life going to look like? And how much time do you need to develop your personal habits and vacations and where are you going to live and the cars you're driving? All those things. Yeah all the choices that we make as, as, as people. And then you work on your business blueprint. If you do that first, you're not going to get into the trap, the nine to five trap. You're working 80 hours a week. And before you know it, your kids are in college and you go, you know, I'm 72 years old. What did I do with my life? Don't make that mistake. Slow down now, figure it out today and your business and your, your life will be happier for it. I guarantee you. And I wish that book had been available when I was in my twenties. You should have wrote it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have wrote it sooner, right? I mean, I couldn't have. I know. Uh, it just, I write, I've written nine books now, um, but books come together. And I think most authors will tell you the same thing. They come together at the right time. You know, when I get this compelling thought that, okay, I have ideas that I need to share with people because I think it's going to help them with their life and their business, then I know it's time for me to sit down and, and every day carve out time because it's a process. It's not easy writing a book. I mean, this is a, that's a 300-page book. It took me 35 years to write. It, it's not an easy process. It hurts. I mean, it is a painstaking process. It's like giving birth to a child. I don't know what that experience is like, but uh, that's the only thing I can liken it to uh, as a man <laughs> is, is giving birth. But I, it came at a good time because right when COVID hit is when this book came out. And so this has been able to help tens of thousands of people that are looking to get some basic foundational fundamental ideas Okay, I want to start a business. I don't know what to do, but I need to know how to be a businessman first. And then you can learn on what you're going to sell. It doesn't matter what you do. 
these principles will help you in any industry. Right now, I mean, my customer services dead just came out in the last uh, four to five weeks. So right now, I mean, I'm doing, you know, 10 interviews a week, uh, just helping promote like with on on your show. Uh, And then I have a number of bigger projects that I have with other companies that I'm spending my focus on over the next few months. Plus, my kids are almost out of school. So this summer, we're going to play hooky a little bit and play and travel in the motorhome and and do some of that. Now with my radio show, Business Edge Minute and Business Edge Radio, the nice thing about that, as you know, I can batch record. I have a thing called the Business Edge Minute, Mm -hmm. and it's on almost 40 uh, radio stations across the country. And all it is is 60 seconds of, of here's three reasons why it's important that you stay hydrated at work. Here's four ways that you can uh, attract a new customer. Here's five different uh, reasons why it's important that you your business card be professional and impeccable. Just little tidbits. I mean, 60 seconds, right? What can you get in 60 seconds? I'll tell you what you can get. 195 words. That's how long my scripts are. Um, and it's wonderful. We're, we're gaining traction. You know, we, like I said, 40, 40 markets across the country. I think we have five just in the state of Tennessee, which is kind of cool in your neck of the woods, uh, because I think it's an appropriate time. This is the perfect timing for something like this, because so many people are thinking about how can I make more money on the side or as a full-time living? And so this is just little tidbits, but uh, if, if you can't hear it on your radio station, just go to your podcast provider, iTunes, Google, doesn't matter. Uh, and just search Business Edge Radio, and you can download the app, actually. We have an app. You can download it right to your phone. And you're on YouTube as well. Well, yeah, we don't make any effort on that. That's just part of our provider, uh, Libsyn. It automatically happens. We don't put any effort on YouTube at all. Okay. Um, again, we pick, we we stick to our name. We, we pick what we can do very well, and then we do that. YouTube, we haven't given any, any effort, actually, at all. Okay. But they are there, yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> Now let's get ready to wrap this up. What's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners? Well, we, we, you've asked some really good questions and I think there's been some nice nuggets here, but my biggest thing right now is just enjoying this moment, living our lives today. And I don't care what you do. I don't care if you work for somebody, you work for yourself. I don't care who you are and what you do. Enjoying this moment right now, I think is all we got. My, uh, my step, my mom and dad were divorced when I was young. I told you that. She remarried, beautiful man. His name was Pat. And they didn't make a lot of money together. They loved each other. And I think he loved her more than anyone I've ever known in my life. And they uh, would put a a little bit of money away because they wanted to buy a boat. Not a big fancy boat, just a boat to sail on Hayden Lake in North Idaho. Well, the day they bought this boat, we put it in in the river or in the lake. We're getting ready to go out. And again, we didn't have a lot. I mean, we were raised very humbly. But we bought him a captain's hat, right? And he's up there. My brother, my sister, my mom, Pat, myself, we're out there. It's a beautiful afternoon. Uh, I think it was in July or August. He looks around. He says, babe, I wonder what the poor folk are doing today. (laughs) My mom kind of gets this quizzical look on her face. She said, honey, we are the poor folk. And all he says, and it's a a line that I remember today, and and it really forms a lot of who I am. He says, babe, not today. And just that... That little half a second of him saying not today, he felt like, and we felt like the richest people in the world. And it had nothing to do with how many dollars were in our bank account and where we went on vacation, what kind of car we drove. It had to do with being in the moment, loving the people that are in your life, not letting those moments go by. And that, that's part of my foundation of who I am today. And unfortunately, just a handful of years after that, he was leaving work, had his keys in his hand. He told a joke, as he was known to do on occasion. Turned around, went to grab the door in his office, and before he hit the floor, he, he was dead. And, but there was no regrets because we, he lived life each day to the maximum, and he taught us to do the same. So that's my last piece of advice. Enjoy right this moment. <laughs> it sounds like he was a great mentor to have. He was. He was. Yeah, he was. What's the best way for people to check you out and get in touch with you? Well, all my books are available on Amazon. If you, if you want to get this book for free, uh, I'll, I'll send you the book for free. I just ask you pay a little bit of a, a shipping and handling fee. Just go to the number six hyphen star, S-T-A-R dot org. Um, give us your information and I'll send you the book for free. I'll even sign it if you want. Um, of course, as soon as I sign it, it's worth half price. Uh, anyway, you can go to Amazon and find all the books there. You can buy them there. Uh, or you can go to my educational website, which is powermarketing101.com. So P is in Paul, powermarketing101.com. 
and it talks about my speaking, my uh, the, the radio show. It's, it's got all the information there about who I am and, and what I do. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Mitch, all for right. being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40. Hey, I had a great time. It's an honor to spend time with you and your listeners, and good luck to you. All right. Thank you. Some of my key takeaways from our conversation with Mitch Graff. As Mitch pointed out, if you don't fail, you can't truly appreciate what success means. He pointed out that he knew, uh, knew of a bunch of pretty rich, successful people, and they failed multiple times, more than they'd care to admit. He also introduced us to the 24 hours a week, seven months a year. And he admitted that that sounds like pie in the sky, but it's, it's something that he strives for. The way he achieves this is through identifying inefficiencies and correcting them with systems. He also advised us to, if we're going to start a business, make sure that money that you spend, that it's only on something that improves the customer or prospect experience, something that they come into contact with. You know, he pointed out getting a new mouse pad does not come into that realm. Updating your office chair, your office furniture, unless the customer experiences that, shouldn't come into play. He also pointed out that as customers, we should hold businesses that we do business with to a higher standard. It's not just about meeting our needs, but exceeding them. And he pointed out that if you can exceed your customers' needs, they will stay your customers. And you won't have to acquire new ones. Stay tuned for episode six, where we interview Rick Terrian and discuss his philosophy of the ageless entrepreneur. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.